Welcome to the Books Brothers Podcast, where each week we read, discuss, and challenge each other to become better men, and have a few laughs in the process. The Books Brothers are currently reading The Mask of Masculinity, how men can embrace vulnerability, create strong relationships, and live their fullest lives by Lewis Howes. This week, the guys discuss the preface, introduction, and the first mask, the Stoic Mask. In our culture, showing emotion or fear isn't reserved for men. Yet, men deal with the same struggles and insecurities as anyone else. We'll discuss aspects of the chapters that stuck out to us, what arguments Howes makes that we agree or disagree with, and leave challenging each other. After the show, please share your comments and feedback on the chapters by emailing us at connect at booksbrotherspodcast.com. Do we want to start off with like a good thing that happened this week? One good thing? Yeah. Give the listeners one gratitude. A little bit of gratitude. That's a good idea. Or is that kind of a precursor to a little foreshadowing? No, just something good that happened this week. Doesn't have to be good. Just tell you something good, huh? I went to the last Royals game of the season for my father in law's birthday, and we took our girls. And they really enjoyed it, and it was great. Nice. So awesome. Take them to the little K. <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking to the little K. Yeah, but they're not athletic enough or old enough to do the little baseball diamond. Plus, there's a huge line. Dude, that's awesome, though. I wish. Uh, I think baseball's kind of coming back a little bit. Yeah, I feel like I was it was looking- such a great pastime, and it kind of died out. After a while, yeah. and I think it's coming back. Yeah, steroids really made it come back, huh? In the nineties, ninety-eight. <laughs> Actually, if you if you watch Long Gone Summer, it's uh, <laughs> the steroids did bring the popularity of baseball yeah. back after the ninety-four strike. Yeah, so I, know. I was being serious. To, yeah, you what? I was being serious, but joking at the same time. <laughs> Ooh, the classic double whammy. All right, what was somebody grateful for? I think as I've gone about like leaving, leaving my job that I've only job I've done. Um, yeah. I just whenever you have conversation with folks that they're kind to you about like your next steps and encouraging. I think that's been something that's been, I've had a couple people just today. I'm sharing positive things, but I feel like I've had, I don't know, some stuff where it's just like people are just like being discouraged that I'm leaving. So it's been nice, like having some people like really reaching out and like saying like, Oh, you're new missed. And you know, thanks for, your time here and such of that. Well-deserved, Stalen. I knew they would be like that. Thank you to everyone who's joining us for our first official week going through our first book. Last week, we did our introduction episode introducing each of the guys in the Books Brothers podcast. I'm joined today with the entire group. We have Matt, Rob, Stalen, Thomas and Fleds. Guys, it's good to be with you all as always. I've had this, uh, well, obviously I've had this on my calendar because Thomas sends out the calendar invites. What I meant to say is I look forward to this more and more every single week. And especially with this being our first book that we've processed through in, gosh, about seven or eight weeks now. We did it uh, in just preparation for the podcast. It's really exciting to be back. So looking forward to discussing the first two chapters. So let's dive right in. As a recap, 
We are reading The Mask of Masculinity, How Men Can Embrace Vulnerability, Create Strong Relationships, and Live Their Fullest Lives by Lewis Howes. This week, we read the preface, introduction, and chapter one, which is The Stoic Mask. So I'll give a brief summary of each. This week's pretty easy since it's the preface, introduction, and then just one chapter. So the preface is just what a preface is. It gave the background of what Lewis, uh, what inspired Lewis to write this book. He had just finished writing his first book and had a very successful podcast that kind of um, kind of rose him to, I don't know if you want to call celebrity status, but just more well-known and making this uh, entrepreneurial venture. And he's doing book signings, he's traveling around the country and feeling very lonely and unfulfilled and realizing that he's um, portraying himself in certain masculine ways, but uh, feeling empty on the inside. So that was what inspired him more or less. And then we got get to the introduction, which essentially gave a brief summary on how he came to identify these nine masks that he discusses that men wear and portray. So he, he also listed typical depictions of what men uh, or just people uh, identify or believe makes someone a man, which we'll discuss in a little bit. Some of the questions I ask, and then he summarizes briefly the nine masks. So it gives about a one paragraph summary of each of the nine masks and then the following nine chapters go into each one specifically. Chapter one is the Stoic mask. So being Stoic, um, you know, not showing fear, not showing emotions, you know, being quote unquote strong. That is what being a man is. And if you're crying or showing emotion or showing any sort of fear, whether it's the battlefield or giving a presentation at work, whatever it is, that's a sign of weakness, and that is not manly. And he dives into some of the reasons why that uh, we do that, and um, some of the fears that we have of you know we don't want to be vulnerable to opening ourselves up to other people because that leaves us in a position where others can judge uh, and know our true selves. So even though we want to be fully known by others, we want to be accepted. We often um, are afraid that if we show our true colors, people won't like us and won't accept us. So we put on a stoic mask. So with that, is there anything else that uh, any of the guys would like to add to that recap that I may have missed that stuck out to you all? Uh, or shall we dive into one of the first questions? I guess only only thing I would say is just how much that Lewis hit on the negatives in his life that were caused by these uh, masculine traits that we get conditioned with. So I guess that was kind of the nature of the read for me from his perspective was that, you know, the stoic mask did a lot of harm in his life. Hmm. Yeah. Just one thing to add real quick. I think that um, obviously he shared a lot of vulnerable things just about his past, but even just that experience in the playground with all of the uh, kids and how he got picked last and from that point forward, you know, he really used that experience to propel him to where he wanted to dominate 
you know, everybody and he wanted to win at everything. And that, you know, just that impact that it had on his life where he had that experience and, uh, he, you know, made a belief about himself that he's going to go out and, and beat everybody. And then that, that turned into a vow of how he really lived his life and, uh, how he wanted to just excel at everything and not really have vulnerability. Yeah, that's great. In the preface, he wrote a line that I, I wrote down in my notes. He says that the most destructive phrase in our society, so that's, those are strong, strong words. The most destructive phrase in our society is, quote, be a man, unquote. So wanted to just ask you all, since we're all men, all dudes, what scenarios did you personally hear that term growing up or even now? And then kind of a two-part question, how did that hearing be a man how did that shape your definition of what you thought or potentially still think it means to be a man? Good question, Garrett. Just wanted to uh, say, I think one of the most destructive phrases in my life is if I ever say settle down to my wife, if she's upset. <laughs> Amen to that. I don't think. Yeah. <laughs> all right, go ahead. Serious comment. No, I mean, I, I don't know about, about you all. I feel like I feel very privileged because I think that I grew up in a home where my, I feel like my father like modeled like manhood well. And I think as a result, I do recall people saying like, be a man or, um, like man up. And I feel like I recall it in situations like, honestly, like the situation I remember the most is probably playing like middle school football, hearing that being said and being used over and over again. And I remember like it never being a motivating thing for me. And I feel like for me, it was like, maybe it was because I had that background that, you know, my, my dad had modeled more of like, that's not necessarily manhood is how tough you are. But uh, I do recall that being a thing and, and some people that being a very motivating uh, concept. But for me, it wasn't. It's funny that you mentioned football because I think like something that I, I often think of some of my high school football experience with. Like, I remember we were getting deep in the playoffs, so it's like getting colder and colder. And one of the coaches was like, all right, next week forecast is going to be in the 30s. Offensive line, I think it was the offensive line coach. It's like offensive line, we're not wearing any long sleeves. Like just like arbitrarily <laughs> just was like no long sleeves. Like we're going to show how tough we are by bearing as much skin against the the cold, you know, as possible. And it was like those kind of attitudes and mantras where it's like, yeah, uh, if you're tough, you you don't wear sleeves when it's cold. And that's what, you know, being a man is because you're on the offensive line. You got to be tough. So just kind of things that I was like, man, kind of a head scratcher. I couldn't remember any specific times when I heard someone specifically say to me, be a man. But I feel like I heard it most in sports when we were younger, like middle school basketball, playing with friends, just hearing coaches or other people to say, be a man when like someone gets hurt and maybe they're taking a little bit too long to you know, get back up and start playing again. I feel like that phrase, be a man, that's, that's a pretty bold statement to say it's the most destructive thing in our society. I feel like there might be other destructive things <laughs> out there. I think I've heard it, but rephrased uh, in, like a, in a more demeaning way, honestly, of instead of be a man, don't be a don't be a bitch. <laughs> right. Yeah. I heard yeah. that a lot. Yeah. The, the negative. A lot. Yeah. 
Yeah. I heard that a lot yeah. on the basketball court when I was playing yeah. and just like sports in general. I agree. I think, yeah, the negative, the negative side of it, I think is used more often. Like, are you a boy or a man is kind of more what I think would affect me or would have affected me than mm. be a man. Yeah. I think mm. it's a comparison to something demeaning that's probably more common, commonly effective. It's interesting though that, that everyone has like experiences with sports. I mean, it makes sense. And like, even here, like Lewis, Lewis's story being a like total shame story, being him getting picked last. And like, yeah, when you're reading that, you're like, Oh man, that sounds awful. And we've all had, I think he mentions like, we've all had maybe one situation you look back to and you recall like really being shamed uh, socially and how that affects, uh, how that affects us. Yeah. So being a man or the opposite of that, I think, you know, talking about like a lot of the things that we do want is actual true deep relationships. And he quoted uh, someone specifically like as it pertains to marriage, but it doesn't have to pertain to marriage. He just saying that it it takes to, to build a like healthy, deep relationship with someone. It takes an incredible unlearning and taking apart what our culture has taught us about what it means to be a man, to realize how much we've been poisoned, to strip down to who we actually are. So like uh, Thomas, there's an example saying, <laughs> saying, Hey, calm down. You know, sounds like you've had to unlearn that, that that's not a helpful phrase when trying to resolve an argument, but, uh, in more like longer term, deeper relational bonding ways, what are some things you've had to unlearn as you've matured as a man and what, as a result of that, what benefits did that bring you to, to you and those around you? So I was thinking on this question today, I don't know. I think with me just like growing up and, and kind of like um, having a strong work ethic and my parents not necessarily providing like everything for me, right? Like really having to work for everything. I, I've become like so much of a doer, right? That like, my day with its rigidity is focused on like accomplishing tasks and achieving and doing things. And I think that those are, those are great masculine traits, um, right. To be a provider, to do things, to accomplish things, to, um, you know, re really take care of the roost. And so with that, just into singlehood for, you know, 10 plus years, it, it really became what I like, what I needed to do for me, but also for my future. And so like kind of go, go, go. And now obviously that I'm married, um, coming home, like I, I still find myself getting into these routines of like doing and achieving and knocking things off the honeydew list that I'll literally not even embrace my wife, um, as much as I should, right. Not slowing down and pausing. And so, I think for me, I've had to unlearn like just being super productive uh, and also just having connection and slowing down and taking that pause so that I can truly be available um, to my wife. Because I think so much of, um, you know, my past has just been around getting things done and now that for my future. And so now that the future is now, it's like, okay. Now I just, I need to do those things, but I also need to be a husband first. And that takes, you know, responsibility with connection with your spouse. Yeah. Yeah. It's good, Rob. I feel like I can really relate to that. One of my like biggest things that I've had to like learn to do better in like in my relationship with Ruth has been like that 
with that idea of like the checklist, like coming home and like I asked, like, how was your day? And I think sometimes we think that yep. asking how was your day, like, oh, okay, I've done the good deed. I've like checked in with my wife. And then like there's times where like that answer is maybe longer than I expected, maybe longer than I desired. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's something where, you know, she'll start off in a story and then we're five, seven minutes into it and I'm not maybe I'm not paying attention and maybe I get distracted and, you know, she'll call me out on that, which is good as she should. But in my mind, I'm like, no, no, no. Like all I had to do was ask you how your day was. Like you didn't like, I didn't have to like listen then too. So I think being able to be like, be more engaged in that process of, yeah. Like I think for guys, it's really easy for us to compartmentalize things and to view things as tasks and not always take the time to like sit in a moment, be in a moment and, and really enjoy the moment. And that's something that I feel like I'm always learning. Um, as we go back to what Garrett, you initially asked, one thing that I had felt in my life and in a marriage is that I found that I, I, I've been someone who's had a lot of issues with like lying. And I think I like lied to like paint the picture of me being this really like either a really good guy or really a guy who, um, cares a lot, compassionate, or I would lie a lot to maybe help paint the picture of who I wanted to be rather than who I always was per se. And so I've really had to go through like the relearning of like in a relationship with my wife or with friends, like it's not, it's not about putting on the best picture that we can, but rather like being vulnerable, being honest. And I think for me, that process really started probably like four years ago of really working through that some with, um, Ruth realizing like, yeah, lying was a big issue in my life. And as I had addressed that problem, that issue, I I think that it helped me to like one, be a healthier person, healthier man. And then also helped me to have a healthier relationship with Ruth. And I think during that period, that's really when I I feel like I started doing a better job with like reconnecting with you all, sharing with you all some of my story of, you know, my adult life. And as we as I went through like, Hey, these are things that I've had issues with failures with. It's like funny. Cause then, you know, as you talk to your guys, your age, friends, your age, they're pretty much always going to have similar problems. And so you're like, Oh, okay. I'm not the only one. And so learning that, that it's like that openness and that connecting with friends on that level, you see that, uh, we're all going through the same things and really the best is for us to be able to like cope and help deal with those things, uh, together. Cause obviously our, our you know spouses and family are really great in supporting us, um, but sometimes we just need like men who are going through the same thing to help us go through life stuff. Well said, Stalen. I would I would add to kind of what Rob was saying for myself about time management and how I choose to spend my time, and I feel like that's a really good way to evaluate yourself because it really is the best indicator of what you value as a man. And where your, uh, I guess, traits that you feel like are most important kind of show through is by your actions and how you spend your time. And you guys mentioned um, working out or whatever. And I feel like I spent a, like early in my career, especially I was, I was doing long distance a couple of years. So this wasn't a problem. But once I started living with my significant other, I realized I spent a odd amount of time working out compared to what my priorities were at that time. You know, like I would spend two hours in the gym every day when my priorities were my relationship with my fiance and my career. And those things didn't match up for months. And it, it bothered me. 
but I didn't really know why, you know? And it was because I had tied a lot of my identity to that as a man. And, Mm. you know, I thought that without that, there was going to be something missing. So I think as we grow, whether it's masculine, things that are tied to masculinity or things that are just tied to like different phases or seasons in our life, we got, we've got to reevaluate how we're using our time and whether that's the best fit for the people around us or ourselves. That's good. That's good, Thomas. Man, I can relate to a lot of what all three of you guys have said already. And I'll just echo pretty much everything. But other things that have been going through my mind about things that I've had to unlearn to become a better man. The first one that came to mind is I'm, I'm the sixth kid. I have five older siblings. And that obviously had an effect on how I was raised because in one aspect... I kind of had everything there for me. People would do things for me. I never really had to take responsibility or take charge or take action on anything because I always had an older brother or sister to do it for me. And so I would just go with the flow with whatever it was. And I kind of had that mentality, that mindset all throughout high school, even a little bit of college too. But getting into college, being on my own, And having positions of leadership and responsibility forced me to unlearn that mentality and that mindset and take responsibility, take action, take leadership roles and the things that I was involved with. And that's a huge change, but a good change because I feel like I am a better man because of that. Um, being put into into leadership roles and being the one responsible and having to do all the little tasks to get things put together. And I think that's led me to the man I've become today, which has helped me probably become a, a better husband, a better father, a better brother, a friend, all those things. But then Rob and Salen, you were talking about having that checklist of things to do um, you're doing those things rather than, you know, connecting with your wife or something. I can relate to that as well. But at the same time, once we add kids into the mix, I think those things are <laughs> kind of like a necessary evil because we're both forced to do these little mundane tasks like clean the dishes or wash bottles or clean the table um, sweep the floor. Uh, those are the things that like we have to do. Maybe we don't have to, but they're more of a priority with kids around. It's kind of like compromising. I know Emily and I, we both felt very annoyed and frustrated whenever we had to like clean up every single night after a long day of work, um, put the kids to bed, wash bottles, do dishes, so that the kids would have milk and bottles and dishes for the next day. So, Garrett, I don't know if you can relate to that as well, but we had to kind of compromise our relationship to do these little mundane things as well. Mm-hmm. And it's gotten better over time as the kids grow older. You don't need to do that, that as much. So we get to spend more time together in the evenings. I think, you know, Matt, since you you know mentioned me, I think... to tie it in what to Thomas says, it it comes down to priorities. Cause yeah, like cleaning the house to where you're not like perpetually walking on old food that your kids have flown on, thrown on the ground. Like 
you, you have to clean up the house. Right. But you know, at, at some point you're going to have to cut some things out. So if I'm, you know, I get my like weekly, like this is how often you were on your phone, you know, hour, you know, your average hours mm-hmm. per day, or, you know, you, you look at your Netflix account or whatever it is. It's like, I've somehow made time for this or that. So, um, I, I totally hear you. And then like what Thomas is saying to like kind of tie it in. It's like you make prior, you make time for what you prioritize and it's very difficult when you're exhausted and tired after a day of work, kids cleaning. It's hard to, yeah. Ask your wife, how are you? How is your day? And then actively listen and engage like what Stalen was saying. So I can definitely. So maybe the unlearning is some of like the, the potential, like not necessarily lazy because like watching stuff and like, those are good things like unwinding things, but in turn, like unlearning bad priorities or unlearning the statement. I don't have time. It's like you have time. You just didn't make time Mm. because you prioritize other things. Let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. Unmarried men, are you tired of living like a slob and need some motherly care to do your laundry or bake you a cake after a recent breakup? Look no further. Now introducing Renamom. Renamom is perfect for those mama's boys that live far from their mothers but need some womanly care in their lives. Renamom is perfect for all situations, meal prepping, hosting parties, or even filling in as a mom when introducing your new love interest to those in your life. Why fake it? When you can rent it, rent a mom. Robbie! And now back to the show. What were you going to say, Thomas? I, I was just going to mention, I know that this question was about what from your traditional uh, masculine conditioning have you had to unlearn? I actually heard more answers about what we had to learn correctly than I heard what we had to mm-hmm. unlearn. And that makes me think that the traditional masculine upbringing teaches you things in a way that's not actually effective. So that when you grow up, you realize, oh, this thing that I'm doing, like leadership, that I thought was masculine, I've been doing it in totally the wrong way. So now I have to unlearn that way so I can relearn the correct way. Or, you know, any anything you can think of, I just feel like maybe that's that's more accurate compared to like having to completely unlearn something. It's more like unlearning or it's more like learning the right way to do it. That's a great segue into the next question, Garrett. (laughs) (laughs) Rob's ready to move on. (laughs) Are you talking about question three? I want to hear Flez here, baby. I know Flez is going to have something to say coming up here. Yeah. Because a lot of those things are Flez. (laughs) Okay. All right. In yeah, a good so way. In a good way. We'll uh, we'll move on to the third question. And just for the listeners, we I I did not explain this at the beginning. We kind of are taking a rotational approach, where someone from the group runs point on facilitating the question asking and kind of emceeing an episode. So everyone reads the required reading, uh, but for tonight, I, I decided to you know take point and I ran uh, wrote all the questions down. So. Send them out to the guys beforehand. So, yes, next question in the introduction chapter, Lewis Howes, the author, he lists a or he shares a list of typical depictions of a, quote, real man. So I won't read them all. That's what the point of this book club is. You have to read them yourself. But the question is, which one do you most identify with? And is there anything that you would add to this list? 
Flez, do you have, you know, since uh, Rob mentioned you, did you have anything that came to mind in response to this question? Are you calling me out because I'm physically fit? (laughs) (laughs) You are the Olympic bodybuilder of the, or powerlifter of the group. So yeah, there's not, there's no Olympic powerlifting. I'm just, I used to be a competitive powerlifter. There's Olympic Olympic was used in Olympic was, was, I just let it go because I was trying to be nice, but I can't, I can't let it go again. What do you mean you were trying to be nice? Yeah, it's not someone's fact checking on us. I can't. I just sure all of our subscribers to... are going to fact check. Is Adam Flesner an Olympic powerlifter? That just sounds like that. Like that sounds like I'm way cooler than I really am. So I just want to, you know, be a little. I think you're pretty cool, Fles. All right, this is so humble. So, no, I am not calling you out because you are strong and physically fit. Um, yeah, no, I can, I can relate to this. I mean, um, I've been feeling a lot of this, like, why am I so obsessed about learning about masculinity lately? And it's cause my stepdad's past, he's has Alzheimer's and not doing well. And it's kind of bringing up these like feelings inside of me of like, I got to step up, you know, I got to be a man. And I really have had those kinds of thoughts and like mm. almost like a rage, like, I gotta like, I gotta like do this, you know, like I'm going to be, I have to be a bigger, better man now. Cause like my father figure is about to go away, you know? Um, it's a real That's tough reality. And it's like, it's been bringing up a lot of tough stuff to deal with. Like, yeah. man, like I'm not going to have that sense of security there anymore, you know? And so then it really makes you kind of go in um and think about your past a little bit and you know it really it's like man you don't really realize what these people have done for you until they're about to go away you know um and just having him seeing like seeing him his drive and just like just grinding and work and providing for his family you know um and he's brilliant uh so I just am blessed to have had that as a good quality of a man to look up to. But there are some negative traits of like being weighed into way too into work, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm like stepping back and I'm like, okay, like I'm letting this affect me, but I'm not going to let it change who I am and become this like workaholic type guy now, just because like that's who that. Like I learned good traits from him, some good traits from my real dad. Um, (laughs) And then, um, but the successful at everything he does thing, you know, I can see that. And like, you know, Larry is very successful at everything that guy, that guy does. Um, And so when I think of a real man, yeah, I do. I think of like somebody that is like him, like just very driven and like just works 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 provides for his family um but at some point there's got to be like a balance there you know and so these are just things that i've been wrestling with a lot personally lately and you know the physically fit and strong ones i have been working on a lot for the last few years you know coming out of powerlifting i I, from powerlifting i got this like almost like false sense of strength of like i can do this and most people cannot like most people can't Mm -hmm. lift what i'm doing like they can't do this and i but in our reality internally i was like 
in turmoil. <laughs> and so like outwardly, I was projecting this like very strong physically guy, but inside I was just a wreck, you know? And that eventually got exposed with my, um, with my suicide attempt, obviously that we all talk about. Um, and I have to bring that up because it's the end of September, which is suicide awareness month. Um, and which I think is really neat that we're doing this. This is our first content episode and just so happens to be the last week of suicide awareness month. And so I obviously feel compelled to bring that up and we love you dog. Yeah. So just glad yeah, to dude. be here. Um, and we're I think glad you're here too. Yeah. And I think a lot of, um, what we have going on right now has been extremely helpful for me personally and my growth as a p- person from that point on of when I was hit that really bad low. Um, and I think if you look at my life back then and compare it to now, it's not just this, but I've had to do a lot of work, but this has been huge for the community aspect of my life and having uh, lost a certain part of my life before and kind of had to restart. Um, this has been like an invaluable thing in my life. And it's just, uh, and it makes sense. Like all the data, you know, as a science guy, all the data shows happiness comes from the community. It's like the number one thing. Yeah. It's good. For Dude, us. I, I just want to commend you because all of the work, that you've been doing like you haven't you didn't go back into the gym and try and set new goals right because you knew that that wasn't going to make you happy you you rolled up your sleeves and you looked yourself in the mirror and you said hey i gotta make some changes i gotta do what uh is going to propel me forward and actually be a man right so looking yourself in the mirror um going through therapy and like Mm -hmm. trying to dig deep right and yeah. really learn and and all of those things i think this chapter really hits on in terms of like taking the mask away being vulnerable with ourselves mm-hmm. truly looking yeah. ourselves in the mirror and seeing like where have we come from what are we doing how do we go forward right like our past present and our future and i, I just i want to commend you for for all of that work man it's yeah. it's good yeah, and fellas, honest you really, work you really let a lot of things go too does. like all these yeah. little things that are trivial to a lot of people like drinking, for example, like that's just stuff that fuzz took seriously and let go for a while or for good, whatever you think is best. But like, that's, that's something that most people will never like, I think get to the point to where that's they're, they're willing to do those sort of things that are judged pretty harshly by everybody else. You know, like it seems like a small thing to talk about, but actually doing it, I know is pretty hard. So yeah, dude, Way to go. Unfortunately, some, you know, I hit a rock. Now you could call it a rock bottom. And so for me, I, when I first started therapy, I told the guy, Kent, he's amazing. I still see him. We have a really good relationship. But I told him, I never want to experience what I just went through again, ever. He's like, okay. And it's like, yeah, it never, it's never going to happen again. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I have had to like totally change my identity. It's like, I'm not a power lifter. Like that's not my life. Like I'm like first, like it's like, I'm a human, I'm an animal, I'm a brother, 
I'm an uncle, I'm a godfather. Um, yeah. you know, there's all these things that come way before anything related to like fitness, you know? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and it's like, when you realize like, wow, yeah, that's like, it's important to be healthy, but that's not what it was. So, um, <laughs> it's like putting an identity in something that's just like, it like, took me getting, <clears throat> yeah, it took false me getting idol. back to me. Yeah, yeah. It took me back to getting to. You know, I'm realizing that, you know, your faith is the most important for me, um, mm-hmm. putting that number one. And then from there, just kind of like, you know, cause I'll still hit lows, but nothing like that. But like, you know, everybody has like bad days, but like, you know, that's always sure. like a good rock to go to is, you know, foundation of, you know, faith. But yeah, I mean, I had to like, I'm never going to compete in powerlifting again. I like, oh yeah, I like running. I, I used to be a really good, decent, not a really yeah, good soccer buddy. player. I'm a, that's funny. <laughs> 13, 13 seconds, Rockwood Summit. 13 seconds. One goal. School, school record. First, first part of the game. Fastest goal. <laughs> but I did. I ran like a 530 mile at one point. It's like, I like running. I like hiking. I like yeah. traveling. Like it's like, it, we got to a point where I was like, I can't go on a walk because I might it might impede my recovery for my next lifting session. It's like, it's pathetic. Yeah. It's like, there's, there. It's, remember, not, it's just, you know, people get so sucked into it. You know, I remember when, uh, Flaz, when you came out one time, uh, to Arizona, we were going on a hike and you wanted to finish the hike early. Cause you like, didn't want to like get too tired for the lifting session. <laughs> I know it's so bad. It's like, dude, I'm in Arizona for the first time ever. And I've heard about that. It's like, Come on, yeah. people. You were committed, man. You were, I know. You were yeah, committed. Which is good. Yeah, it's a good it's not thing. All, not all, yeah, not all bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. With, yeah. Adam, with what you were sharing, um, I couldn't find the exact spot in it, but it was talking about that the guy who was in the military. And They'll die. He, he talks about, like, the key to the key to going in, like, fearless. And, like, he, he ends up saying, basically, that like let them let them never know that you're afraid, mm-hmm. and I think he was saying that in reference to like his own like squat like squad, and I think that with what you're just sharing about really shows that it's like that mentality might might work in certain situations, but like in the long run of like not letting individuals know like where you're like not letting community know like where you're at, um, as you can see obviously from like your story you shared there that we have to open up. We have to talk through things that we're dealing with and really if we're just going through, but yeah, I think, I think it's that reminder that through it's through vulnerability and like through openness that takes like real strength. And so we talk about like the ideas of what we think a man should be. And like one of the terms that was in there at the beginning is strong and like, okay, if we're talking about like physical strength, like, yeah, okay, maybe that's art. There's some artificialness in that, but like to be like strong, like Adam hired talking about to, you know, be able to face like the hard things in life and have hard conversations with the friends or, um, talking about the strength of, you know, a father who's going to work hard to provide for his family. Like that's strength. Like, you know, that, that willpower to get through things. Yeah. I just wanted to do a real quick take on a uh, kind of an opposite take on skilled at fixing things. So mm. that um, that's like a definition of what a real man is there. But like um, that is one thing that makes me feel less of a man. So like I'll put <laughs> it in context, like our buddy, Anthony Savello, 
I call him for everything. Dude, I need my spark plugs. I got a flat tire, my oil change. Can you help me move? Can I need you to help me move something in the car, right? So like anything that involves like heavy lifting, fixing things, anything home related, I go to him and like, I think, yes, like because I can't do all of those things, that doesn't make me not a man. It does not make me not a real man. I clearly am not a handyman in that example because I don't know as many things as he does. But uh, it doesn't like what we're good at or what we're not good at doesn't define like there's not a scale that says, okay, you can bench 225, 10 times, four sets, man. If you can't, you're not, right? If you can change a flat tire, you should know how to change a flat tire as a man. You're bringing up some vulnerable things in Fuzz's past. Right. Uh, I remember 225. It was glorious. I think I struggle with some of that stuff because, I don't know, I... I feel as a man, um, we should be able to do those things as well. Oh man, such a good point, Rob. Such a good point. Yeah, Yeah. sure. And I I think I should just call out, like, I think we're all on the same page when we say this. And for all our hundreds of thousands of future listeners out there who are going to go back in time and listen to this, um, (laughs) is like, I don't, I don't, none of us, none of us are advocating that the things that are listed here are in and of themselves bad things. It's like what Flesh says. So it's not bad to be fit. It's when it's taken to an unhealthy level. It's not bad to exercise. Like Thomas said it, but it's like, Hey, I'm not speaking to my wife or my significant other, you know, the person I live with, I'm, I'm, you know, Things like that. And so completely agree, Rob, like being handy, um, being handy. Those are good things. I seek to be more handy. I, I like being able to know things. I, I draw um, identity from that. Perhaps it can be too much, though. But I, all that to say is I, I can I can definitely agree with that. Um, like the example I thought of unlearning real quick and then we'll move on is like your like career trajectory and always having a path and moving up a ladder and starting in the nonprofit world. Um, and then like a, c- a couple years later going into the business world, it was like, uh, like I, I just, I've shared with you before you all before, but I had this like f- false belief, like, Oh man, I'm, I'm like literally two years behind all of you guys. And, uh, because y'all have already started your jobs and a year or two later after that, you started getting promoted and I'm still like just starting out and, it's like, man, that that's how I'm going to define myself. And I just remember growing up similar to Stalin, I felt like I was fortunate in that I was modeled some very healthy things by my father. And I never cared about what his job title was. I never cared about how much money he made. I always enjoyed that he was at every game growing up, that he was at every dinner and that he was like present with me. And that's what I just try to remember now that in whatever job that I'm in, you know, I, I do ask about travel and I ask about, you know, like, or I, I try to assess, you know, how is this job or is this position going to affect how involved I can be with my family? Uh, and so, um, it's not necessarily like unlearning something, but it's like rejecting a, like a belief that can be really toxic and, and poisoning that can, you know, potentially steer me away um, like chasing a career title or salary at the expense of my family, something like that. Let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. 
Road trips across the country are adventurous and fun. See landmarks, eat at new diners and restaurants, meet new people along the way. But they can be long and maybe you need to stay hydrated. Maybe you need to satisfy your taste buds. Maybe you need to break the ice with a conversation starter. And maybe you need to break down social or racial barriers. That's why we created Big Gulps. 569 ounces of your favorite drink in one cup. <laughs> Just raise your Big Gulps to anyone you meet along the way and start that conversation. If you see others with the Big Gulps, raise your glass and salute and say, Big Gulps, huh? All right. Avoid awkward silences in the conversation by raising your cup again and say, well, see you later. And walk away. <laughs> Big gulps. Stay hydrated and stay social. Grab one at your local convenience store now. Love, Love it. it. Love it. That's so good. And now back to the show. Um, continuing with chapter one in addressing the stoic mask, um, the author addresses how showing fear or emotions is a sign of weakness as a man. Specifically on page 27, uh, he says, if we shared how we really felt, quote, it means making yourself vulnerable to the judgment of other people. It's much easier to eliminate that risk by retreating behind the mask and showing people only what you think they want to see, unquote. Uh, so, yeah, that resonated with me with everything you all have been saying, right? Like I'm powerlifting. Look how, you know, buff I am. My muscles are bulging out of my shirt. And yet. It's, you know, I feel beyond empty inside. So my question, why do you think men are afraid of letting people in and opening themselves up to this vulnerable position? A few years ago, I feel like I had, I had been going through some failures and in, in, in marriage and such, some uh, things that really were hurtful to Ruth. And um, I remember when I was like sharing this with some guy friends and trying to get like advice and seek input and that kind of thing. I remember like one of the first guys I like reached out to, to like talk about some of the things that I was like needing work on and some of the things that like I was failing essentially at in, in marriage and my relationship. The first guy that I like reached out to about this, I remember like asking him and kind of like sharing my heart and all these things. And his response was like, Oh man, you just, you just got to not do that. Just stop doing that. And I remember just being like so discouraged and like it was one of these things where I think the lack of like care, compassion, and it felt like a situation where like I was bearing a lot and then this individual basically gave me like nothing back, you know, uh, no openness on on his side. And I think sometimes having had that experience of like when you try to share with someone about like something deep and then you, they don't reciprocate, I think it's that feeling of hurt because you feel like like maybe our relationship wasn't a thought or maybe I am. Uh, this giant failure. And so I think that what's tough about being vulnerable is not everyone's going to be vulnerable with you. And also there's a lot of people that will just judge you and you can do nothing about that. And they'll change the way they treat you and they'll change the way that, that things go between you two, you know, just because you maybe were too vulnerable. And there's just always going to be people that are living with kind of more rigid ideas of masculinity that aren't helpful to them or society at large. But at the end of the day, we get a lot further kind of inwardly becoming better people than we do posturing for others. Mm. This one kind of hit me hard this week. Several reasons. One, I think this is what I struggle with the most is just being vulnerable with people. And I've been wanting, trying to work on it for years and years, and I still have a long ways to go. I think there's several factors for me personally. One, growing up in this Midwestern society, I feel like that's what our culture is. 
as people pleasing. We're all people pleasers. We want to make sure that everyone around us is okay with the way that we live and the things we say. We're so afraid of offending someone from whatever we believe or what, whatever we say. Yeah, I, I feel agree. like that's just how society that. lives. Also, kind of going back to me being the sixth kid, I don't know. I've thought about this a lot over the last couple of years, but I think a big reason why I kind of grew up like this is because having a big family with five older siblings that, you know, we were all pretty close. Um, I was really close to my brother who was closest in age to me, but seeing them all one by one, just go off to college, go off and live their own life made it tough for me to really open up to other people because seeing them leave, I was just afraid that, you know, if I got close to other people, they're just going to leave me too. And then what's the point of being vulnerable with those people if they're just going to leave? Same happened with a couple of youth pastors, like people that I really looked up to that I was close with that I trusted, respected. um, They went off and, you know, just lived their own lives. And no, we never really stayed that connected afterwards. So I think experiencing that over and over again growing up made it difficult for me to open up to anyone because what's the point? If they're just going to leave again after a couple of years, then I have to start all over again with someone else. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there might be some really good moments and times I, in that. but I, I agree with you, Matt. Yeah, I think it's different now, like this stage of life where, you know, we have, we've kind of chosen who our friends are at this point. We have a lot less interaction with other people, a lot less opportunity to make friends at this stage of life. Yeah, we're married. I'm married. I have kids. Fingers crossed that we stay together for a very, very long time. Um, So I think it's different in that way, but I'm still learning how to be vulnerable. And I, it's one of the things that I struggle with so much. Um, but when I really think about it, like, yes, I should be vulnerable because I want these people to know me. I want these people to love me for who I am. So why am I afraid to not, you know, share my feelings, what I'm thinking, even if I'm doing something stupid, like I need to just learn to ask for forgiveness and, you know, hope that whoever it is, my wife, my kids, they'll still love me for who I am. That's really hard to do. Like, I don't want to look like a bad person, a bad father, a bad husband. But I think he hit on it a little bit in this chapter, too. Like, the people who express those emotions and are vulnerable with the, with people who love them. Like those are the strongest people that he's come across. And I want to be like that. He said that being vulnerable gave him like superpowers. Hmm. Yeah. It made, made everything in his life better, his career, his relationships, everything. Combining what you both said in that, like those are some of the strongest people and Thomas, when we have experiences where we open up and people don't accept us, even though it like hurts, it can sting. It's, it's kind of a a way to kind of like sift the sand, uh, you know, or, you know, 
um, separate the wheat and the chaff or whatever the, the phrase is of like, oh, well, maybe this person isn't worth being a friend. Not that we shouldn't like love our neighbor, but just in the sense of like, oh, like if I can't, I'm, I'm reading this book that Stalin recommended. Um, and one of the lines that stuck with me is we cannot accept acceptance until we are fully known. And so if we're trying to be fully known and people don't accept us, then not, I mean, it sounds really harsh, but it's like, we, we should probably not be pr- prioritize a lot of time with that person. <laughs> like if it's a one-sided relationship and then the people that do accept us that do want to go deep, go through those rock b- bottom moments, like what Flez was talking about, like what Matt was talking about, like those are the people we want to spend our time with our family, those lifelong friends that that proverb talks about that are closer than a brother. I feel like I need to say something about being vulnerable as a man, being the only like single guy here <laughs> as far as dating and do it, man. You know, I don't, it's, it's tough. Cause it's, I mean, like I have a very unique experience as a, you know, <laughs> a divorced man, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to be vulnerable to a girl that you just met, you know, or that you're dating. Um, cause it's like, man, like if I'm vulnerable to this person, then she could leave, you know, there's this fear of that, you know, <laughs> do, you find, um, do you find a lot of women actually don't really like, don't really like that. Me being vulnerable. Just, just in general, vulnerability mm. coming from a man is something that's so foreign to them that they're just kind of like, I don't know what to do with this. I would Honestly, say that's what they yearn for. Honestly, I think it's the opposite. I think it's like yeah. what I've experienced. It's they feel safer with you. You know, that's what I've been told that a couple times by a couple. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how to say that without it sounding bad. No, you're, <laughs> wait, you're saying though you agree with Thomas and, and Rob though, that it's like, it's a positive thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's like, oh, wait, cause um, you said the opposite and I was like, Oh, and then you like confirmed what they said. So I was confused. Oh no, 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 no. Oh, sorry. I must've misunderstood what, what Thomas said. Um, no, yeah, no, I've experienced, you know, being more vulnerable and open is different from what all these other goofballs out in these mm-hmm. on the world are doing. And, uh, they like the women have told me that they feel safe. Like they feel safer. You know, there's like this space, you know, they feel safer when a guy is vulnerable. Like a safe so. space? Mm-hmm. Safe space. <laughs> <laughs> until, you know, until I go off on my rails and then it's like, uh, screwed that one up. All right, ladies. All right, looking for a safe space. <laughs> <laughs> we got Adam Flesner over here. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I have felt, I've had the feelings of like being closed off and like, if I share too much, then they will think I'm weak. And then there's this potential for the relationship ending. So I have felt that internally. And that's something that I have to work on consciously a lot. And I feel like I'm probably not the only one that feels that way. Yeah. Which is just weird. It's like, why do we have that? You know? everybody is for different reasons, but yeah, that's good. And you know, I think that segues us to like the next question and which will be our last for this episode. Uh, you, you've talked about like, cause I think this, or I think that, and Matt, you said the same thing 
like, it's hard for me to do this because, you know, what if this happens or I think this might happen. And ultimately, you know, another word for that in this instance of think is our beliefs. And on page 36, he doesn't like fully explain it, which is why I think it's a great uh, question to ask to wrap up our time. He says, quote, we are driven by our beliefs. The problem is that many of our beliefs aren't beliefs at all. They're faulty assumptions built on fear that get baked into culture because we're even more afraid of addressing them than we are of addressing the fear that created them. End quote. So what do you think are examples of faulty assumptions that are built on our fears that we are even more afraid of addressing? Not that you have to answer Flez or Matt, but I'm thinking like it, it goes for all of us, not just your specific examples that you've shared. We are afraid of being vulnerable, showing some of our true colors because we think X, Y, or Z. So that think it's like, well, why do we think that? Why do we believe that? And it's kind of the paradox that when we do open up most of the time, Stalin, he's had a bad experience. We've all had bad experiences. Again, I don't know how close you are to that person, Stalin, but I would imagine you probably don't go as deep with him and probably have some boundaries there in your relationship with him. People that are worthwhile sharing these things, there's that reciprocity and that paradox that, oh man, if I do open up, I'm actually like accepted and this person showing me grace and is going to love me through all of my junk and messiness and, and help me on my path to restoring my marriage or um, moving to healthier levels of mental health or whatever that is. So what do you think are some examples either in your own life or that you've observed of faulty assumptions that are built on our fears? I'm afraid to sound like a complainer and I'm afraid to sound like I want people's sympathy because if I say anything that makes it seem like I need any sort of emotional backing, I'm weak. That's something that actually, even before this podcast, I was nervous about because I was like, if I share any feelings on a podcast, it'll just sound like I'm complaining and I'm weak and nobody likes a complainer and nobody wants to listen to some guy have a pity party is kind of how I feel. But to an extreme, right? It's about everything in my life. It's like, unless uh, it's somebody I really, really trust, I'm not going to go out and say, hey, I kind of feel like this. It's not very good i don't think maybe i should talk about it right i think with with like my career like work i've at times felt like i'm not good enough or i'm not qualified enough uh for that that's one that i can relate to it's a good one you know what i also had a little bit of a red flag reading this chapter in my mind was how much of masculinity as we know it in the united states in 2023 and you know, ever since we were born, like all the stuff that conditioned us, like, you know, how much of that is actually what causes our beliefs and the way we act versus actual nature? Because mm-hmm. men are wired a certain way, and I'm sure we're wired that way because in the past it helped us in some way. So I was asking myself that because I don't want, I don't want to just look at masculinity and say, let's throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's all bad. It's all just learned stuff that we, you know, don't benefit from. Cause obviously somewhere down the line, this evolved the way it did because parts of the bits and pieces of this masculinity thing were beneficial to 
us and to society, to our families, you know, like it's been shown that men are always, almost always more aggressive than women. But a lot of times you need a man to be aggressive to provide and protect. And those are great qualities. So, you know, I mean, I guess I wondered, you guys think it's 50, 50, do you guys think it's, you know, like 30% of its nature, 70% of its culture. Do you think it's more than that? Like, I just kind of wonder. I mean, I think with like all of these like masks that we'll go through, there's a healthy place in them. I think that there's some health in, in stoicism. I think that it's finding, I think balance and it's finding, I mean, you know, the idea of a mask being, it's something that you're covering yourself with. And so if it, if you're using it as a, as a defense mechanism, or maybe if you're using it away as coping, then that's, that's the issue. But I mean, a lot of the words that we're going to, a lot of the masks that we're going to look at are not all, all bad things. I think uh, it's things that when we take them to the, the nth degree that they can then cause a lot of uh, personal, you know, personal issues and relational issues and um, just a lot of conflict in life. Whenever we make that the, the end all. Yeah. Thomas, I, I, I have two thoughts. The first kind of ties into something Flez shared about earlier about how we're built for community. I'm listening to a book right now called The Whole Brain Child, just understanding what's going on in my child's brain and development stages and when they're throwing fits like they were doing today, which is why I was like 20 minutes late. And you were talking about like the nature and nurture. You didn't say the, uh, the culture. Something I thought of was... Uh, the chapter I listened to on the way home said that like scientifically our brain is a, a communal organ, like it or a social organ, like the brain itself is literally made to be social. And so like we develop in the context of the relationships around us. So our family schools work like that's how children grow and that's how you grow you develop properly. And when you don't develop properly is when, uh, you know, kids are abandoned. You know, I think of, we had some friends in Denver who fostered a baby who was physically like neglected from birth and stopped crying when she was hungry in the middle of the night. Cause she learned at 10 days old, there's no point in crying. My mom doesn't come feed me like bizarre, like terrible stuff. And so I think of like, the nat- the nature you're spot on and like what Stalin said, like there are good aspects of all of these masks and like, we're, n- we're, n- and that's what I was sharing earlier. We're not trying to poo poo on all of these, like, Oh yeah, all this manliness stuff is dumb. Like everyone be super passive and, and Zen and quiet. Um, it's when we take it too far, right? It's, uh, you know, when we're on our phones all the time to where we're on social media and then we're not social with anyone at all. That's where the communal, uh, the social organ of our brain, uh, you know, and I don't think it's any surprise that we're having a lot of mental health crises in our society as we become less and less connected, which is one of the goals of this podcast is to be connected. And then I'll just share one example because I just want to share this story in general um, because it was a very unique life experience and it ties into balancing the need to have a mask and not wear a mask. So last Saturday, we experienced, my family and I, our first, um, like, being at a public event where there was a shooting. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it wasn't a mass shooting, but um, we were at the state fair, and these guys got in a fight, and one guy pulled out a gun and shot the other person. 
Um, you didn't know that at the time. There's thousands of people there. And uh, it was a very surreal experience. We're, we're standing in line waiting to go on our last. Of course, it's our last ride. Like one more ride for the kid. And all of a sudden you hear screaming, you look over and it's like literal massive humanity is running, like just running in every direction. And, um, it, it is pretty terrifying and it was not as terrifying, thankfully, because I had kind of mentally prepared and talked with Brooke, like, uh, thankfully the last two jobs I've worked at, uh, we actually have HR has put on active shooter training. So I actually felt quite educated and that kind of like kicked in, in the moment when, just masses of humanity were just running, hopping fences, you know, things like that. And I had to put on a stoic mask, right? Like it was not time to like freak out. And cause then my son would have freaked out as well. Right. So it was a time to put on a stoic mask and be composed, be calm and work together as a family to get out of there uh, get out of there safely and get home as quick as possible. And thankfully, obviously we did because I'm on this call, but then we get the kids to bed and it's time to take off the stoic mask because it's just my wife and me and she's processing how scary it was. And that would not have been helpful to her feeling loved. And it would have been helpful for me if I was just like, yep, I'm good. I wasn't scared. Like it is what it is. It's like, no, that was, it was like, man, we prepared for like we, we often say it's nowadays. Sadly, it's not if it's when we're at a. Uh, a mass shooting or a public shooting. And it was like, wow, we, it was September 23rd. The, it was our win, but being able to take off that mask, like now it's time to be vulnerable. Um, I think that was, um, you know, wise to take it off then and be able to talk vulnerably with my wife and how we were both doing. Great example. That's great great example. example. Yeah. That's a perfect story. For I think that, that kind of answers some of the things you're talking about. Thomas on like the macro level, the nature and nurture, and then kind of a tangible thing that I was thinking of where it's like, no, there are really positive things to probably each of these masks, like what Stanley was saying. Um, but like we've all talked about, it's when it can go too far where we don't go on a hike with our friends because we want to maximize our workout potential or, uh, <laughs> this morning, I, this morning was a real struggle. I, I've really gotten back into a routine of, I want to work out every day. And my son was screaming, biting. It was terrible. And I was like, you know what? I have to prioritize being a father over making this workout. And I missed my workout, but I spent the extra 30 minutes working with him. Um, and that was really hard. So I'm not just pointing the finger. It's me too. <laughs> yeah, just one last I was just going to say one last thing is just the last part about how awesome you are when you take off the mask, you know, mm -hmm. you have emotional freedom. You have this weight off your shoulders. Like you can actually talk about what mm -hmm. like you just need to talk about. Yeah. yeah. Um, you invite others to as well, right? Yeah. Yeah, oh, for sure. You know what, Flez? That's going to be the challenge to our audience. That is a perfect way to wrap up this episode is if you feel like you got a weight on your shoulders because, yeah, you're not being fully known or fully vulnerable because you have some fears based on faulty beliefs. The, our tagline with this is read, reflect and connect. So reflect on those things that might be weighing you down. Connect with an old friend, maybe a current friend and step out in faith a little bit. Be vulnerable. Talk about what's on your mind. And I think you'll be surprised. Most people respond positively. Right. I, I would say 
more often than not. So we have, we've all had bad experiences, but I think it's easier to remember the bad experiences than the good ones. And it's a testament to this friend group right here. I feel like we're all pretty open with each other, especially off the mic. And uh, we still have a great deal of care and affection for each other and walking through some of the darkest valleys that we've all gone through. That wraps up our episode for the Books Brothers podcast. Next week, we will review and discuss the second mask, the athlete mask, pages 41 to 60. If you haven't yet, buy or borrow the mask of masculinity, how men can embrace vulnerability, create strong relationships, and live their fullest lives by Lewis House, and read along with us. Thanks for joining us. If you haven't yet, buy or borrow the book we're going through and follow along with us. Please subscribe and give us a review. We would really appreciate it. Also, please consider sharing this podcast with a friend or a family member who you think would get something out of it. Finally, we'd love to hear from you. If you are challenged by our conversation or have any questions or feedback, email us at connect at booksbrotherspodcast.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week. Until then, read, reflect, and connect.